Exodus 20 verse 7 You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain For the Lord will not leave him unpunished Who takes his name in vain We looked at 16 names of God All in the Old Testament Last week I want to read through these again Some of you came up and said I didn't get all of them Or I wrote down half and didn't get the rest Here you go Elohim The name meaning God It's the name that's in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 God our creator God Elohim Yahweh The name that God gave to Moses When he said What shall I call you Who who do I tell the Israelites is sending me Yahweh I am The Hebrew name of God It's also in Genesis 2 Yahweh Jireh The Lord will provide That's Genesis 22 verses 13 and 14 Yahweh, Rapha, the Lord our healer, Exodus 16, verse 26. And again, you may want to jot these down, write them in your Bibles, keep them right there. Pray through these names. Yahweh, Rapha, the Lord our healer. Yahweh, Nisi, the Lord our banner, Exodus 17, 15. Yahweh, Hashem, the Lord our sanctifier, Exodus 31, verse 13. Yahweh Shalom, the Lord our peace. Judges 6, verse 24. Yahweh Rohi, the Lord our shepherd. What David said when he wrote the famous 23rd Psalm, the Lord is our shepherd, Yahweh Rohi. Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, when Isaiah had that great vision of the Lord in the temple. He saw the Lord and it just blew him away. Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts or the Lord of armies. Yahweh Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. This is the name. Jeremiah 23.6 tells us this is the name he will be called in the coming kingdom. When people look up and they see Jesus seated on the throne, they will call him Yahweh Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. Yahweh Shema, the Lord who is present. Ezekiel chapter 48 Verse 35. And going on. Corey, go to the next slide. Adonai. Adonai, meaning Lord. Malachi, chapter 1, verse 6. Adonai. El Elyon, the Most High God. Genesis 14, 17 through 20. And Isaiah 14, 13 and 14. El Roy, the Strong One Who Sees. The Strong One Who Sees. Genesis 16, verse 12. El Shaddai. God Almighty, Genesis 17, verse 1, and Psalm 91, verse 1, El Olam, the everlasting God, Isaiah chapter 40, verses 28 through 31. Now last week we considered the first of two questions regarding this third command, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The first question we dealt with was, why is this so important to the Lord? And we talked about that and worked it through to try and understand the importance of this command to the Father. But the second question that we never had time to get to, and we're going to deal with this morning in a few minutes, is how do we take the name of the Lord in vain? That's the one everybody wants to know. Well, how do I do that? Because I want to make sure I don't do that. So tell me how I do that so I can avoid doing that. There is a little problem in that mentality. And the problem is if we're looking at the sin itself and how we can avoid the sin, the motivation is only avoidance. And the motivation for avoiding taking the name of the Lord in vain, I don't want this to be avoidance for you. I don't want to say, well, I don't want to say that because I don't want to take the name of the Lord in vain. What I would prefer, what I think the Lord would prefer is that we love the name so much we wouldn't even go there. Our passion for the name, our desire for our Lord is so deep 
and so great that we wouldn't even consider taking the name of the Lord in vain. That, by the way, applies to sin across the board. Oftentimes, we want to know where the line is drawn. Tell me where the line is. And then what we do in our human nature is get as close to the line as we possibly can without going over. The reality is we all have slippery feet, and if we get close to the line, we're going over. And so God says, look, instead of focusing so much on the sin, why don't you focus on the love? Which is why Jesus said all the law and the commandments are bound up in love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. All the law, Jesus said, hangs on these two. That's it. If you can get the love down, if you can focus on the love, you're not worried about where the line is. You're worried about where the love is. Which is why last week we shared this verse, Isaiah 26, verse 8. Your name, even your memory, is the desire of our souls. Man, if, my name, if God's name is the desire of my soul, am I concerned about taking it in vain? No, because I'm always thinking about how much I love the name. So I'm not going to be out there going, okay, I don't want to slip up, I don't want to slip up. No, I am so passionately in love with God that when I hear the name taken in vain, it's offensive to me and to my heart. Why? Because it's sin? Well, yeah. But much more than that, because I love Him. And I don't want anybody messing with my Father's name. So the real question is not, what do you think? Is it sin or not? It's, how do you feel about the name? Is the name of the Lord the desire of my soul? And we're going to consider the second question. How do we mess that up? How do we take the Lord's name in vain in a few minutes? But let's begin by praying together. Father, Lord, we are here to be taught and to receive instruction by your Holy Spirit. To understand the the true and right doctrine of Scripture. Not the thoughts and ideas of man. Not the traditions that, that maybe many of us have grown up with. Father, we even those traditions want to set them aside. And only focus on what your word teaches this morning. Help us to take in these things. And to grow in our knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and our love for you, Father. And Holy Spirit, teach us, guide us, strengthen us by your word this morning. We pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Orthodox Jews will simply call God one of two things. To avoid taking the name in vain, they will call him Adonai, meaning Lord. Oftentimes, Orthodox Jews will just pray to Adonai or... More often, they will say Hashem. Hashem, which simply means the name. They don't even say the name, they just refer to the name. And and Orthodox Jews, again, will know if someone says Hashem, they're talking about the name, quote-unquote. For they dare not attempt to speak the name of God. In fact, what's interesting is the name we have for God. When you hear the name Jehovah, it's a mixture of two names. It's a mixture. It's taking Yahweh, the Hebrew consonants, four consonants, Yad, Hev, Vav, and He, and I'm probably saying those completely wrong. Is that close, Sharon? Am I right? Good. Okay. Yad, He, Vav, and He, and adding the vowels from the word Adonai. Take the vowels out of Adonai, put them into the, the uh, tetragrammaton, the Y-H-W-H, and you get Jehovah, Yahweh. That's where it comes from. And even in the written English form, it's interesting, many Jews will only write G with a dash and D, leaving the O out so as not to offend, so as not to say God, possibly taking his name in vain. It's so serious, in fact, and I thought this was interesting, that Orthodox Jews won't even count with the name. 
They won't even allow that to happen. What do you mean? Count with the name. The letters in the Hebrew alphabet are also numerals. It's, it's their whole system of counting. It's based on the letters. Same with the Greek alphabet. But in Hebrew, the number 15 is the combination or would be the combination of Yad, which is 10, and Heth, which is 5. 10 plus 5 is 15. And they won't say Yad Heth for 15 because it's the first two letters of the name of God. So you can't do that. Instead, they will say Tet Vav 9 6. 9 plus 6 is 15. So for a Jewish person, Orthodox again, to say the number 15 in Hebrew, they would say Tet Vav 16, or 15, 9 plus 6. But avoid the other because you don't want to take the name of the Lord God in vain. Got to be careful. Watch out for that line. Where's the line? It's right here. Okay, good. Then I can avoid it. That's the mentality. But before we go any further, we need to understand something about the Hashem, about the name of God. It is not a magic charm, folks. The name itself is not a magic charm, as if by speaking it, we can achieve some kind of mystical response. If I just throw God's name out there, if I just say it over and over and over, dang, that's what the pagans do. That's what religions that don't have a focus on God will do. Take a name and say it over and over and over. Repeat it. Choose a sacred word, a mantra, if you will. Say the mantra again and again and again in a form of prayer, and you will draw near. You will center down to the middle of things. And you know what? what's frightening is it's not just pagan religion. It's Christianity. Because Eastern mysticism, Eastern Christian mysticism has crept in. And some of my favorite authors from years ago have taught this. Authors like Henry Nouwen. Or many of you have heard of Brennan Manning. Manning gives some great insight to the heart of God. Has some wonderful writings. He's the writer of the Ragamuffin Gospel. Another book called The Signature of Jesus. But this should make us pause, should make us a little uncomfortable. Because as I, I read through The Signature of Jesus, he gets about halfway through and starts talking about how you, can, how you can center down to find the Lord, to find the Spirit within you. And the way he says to do it is choose a sacred word and repeat it over and over. Gang, it's a mantra. It's a mantra. It's Eastern mysticism. Now, Christians often wanting to be more spiritual and find ways to get closer to God, look at things like that and go, yeah, we need a little more of the mysticism. You know what? God wants things explained to you. The mystery of what was is now explained in the gospel of who is, and that's Jesus Christ. So we understand Him now. And we see Him. And no, we don't understand Him fully. That's going to take eternity. But we see things more clearly. God doesn't want us in the, in the vague, and the shadowy. He wants us close in proximity to Him. You might say, well, wait a minute. Meditation. Isn't that a spiritual discipline? Isn't that something that, that we're taught to do? Absolutely, it is. But there are no biblical examples of mantra-style meditation. You want to hear what the Bible says about meditation? Listen to these verses. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8 tells us, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do, not, to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and you will have success. And the word meditate there is haga, which means to ponder or to study. To 
ponder or study. That same word is used in Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He studies the law. He reads it. He seeks to understand it. To take it in. If you've ever been around Les, I'm just going to pick on you for a moment, my friend, because he's been a pastor a long time and pastors are easy to pick on. He's a target. I love being around Les when he prays because you're not going to hear him pray without Scripture coming out. That's just the way it is with Les. He prays the Word because he knows the Word. He has meditated on the Word. He hasn't gone Bible, 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 Bible. He has read the word the word and meditated on it. Psalm 27, verse 4 tells us the following: One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in His temple. Oh, cool! So we're all going to be in the temple going Bible, 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 Bible. What are we going to do? How are we going to meditate in the temple? The word there in the Hebrew is bakar, and it means to inquire. Get a picture, gang, of us being in heaven like a kindergarten class sitting around the feet of Jesus just asking question after question after question, meditating in the temple. Wanting to understand, to know, to draw close to the Lord. Psalm 119, verse 148. Another use of the word meditate, but it's a different word. My eyes anticipate the night watches that I may meditate on your word. I love that because what the psalmist is saying is I can't wait till I get up on the wall of the city. I can't wait until it's my turn to watch because there's nobody there. It's just me on the wall in the night watch alone with the Lord. And then I can meditate on His Word. Then I can meditate. What's the word? It's siyach. Siyach in the Hebrew which means to speak aloud. So you get this picture of a guy up on the, on, on the watch on the wall with his Bible just speaking verses. And the people asleep down below going, will you shut up? No, this is my time to speak the word, to pray through the word. Gang, in all cases, biblical meditation and prayer is not about vain repetition or mantras. You won't find it in scripture. Matthew chapter 6 verse 7, Jesus says, When you're praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will not be heard for their many words. And i just I got to say this because I think it's fun to say. The phrase many words, and I know I'm throwing out a lot of just language stuff here, but check this out. The phrase many words in the Greek is polugia, polugia. Actually, no, that's not even, it's polo, polulogia. Pololu, I can't even say it. But that's the point. Blah, 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 blah. blah. It's polologia, polologia. Jesus says that, and he says it so quick, and you gotta, you know, the people listening to him must have thought, that's kind of funny. Don't use repetition, vain words, blah, 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 blah. That's what Jesus was saying. He said, don't be like that. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way. Our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy be your name. So if speaking God's name does not have mystical qualities, what's the deal with the name? Alistair Begg put it this way. He said the significance of God's name is in its fullness of doctrinal content. When we understand what the name signifies, only then may we rest 
in the name. When we get what His name means, and that's why we went down that list of names before. When you see and understand the meaning, the rich depth of His name, now you know a little bit more of who God is, of what He does. Yahweh Jireh, the Lord my provider. I was on the phone with Penelope for about half an hour this last week, freaking out and talking about mortgage loans and refinance and trying to figure out how to pay for this house and all this stuff. And we were just talking about how funny it is that we forget Yahweh Jireh, the Lord, my provider. When I know that name of God, I realize He will provide. What Yahweh said to do. When I realize the Lord is my righteousness, I'm not worried about my sin. I'm focused on His glory, on His goodness, on His grace. And that's the life I want to live. In other words, God's name is packed full of instruction. Proverbs 18 verse 10 tells us, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it and is safe. But how do you run into a name? How do you do that? Again, you just run around going, The Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. How do I run into a name? Gang, the power and grandeur and wonder of the name is in what it tells us of the nature and character of Almighty God. The strong tower is the truth. That not only can I run into Him to be saved, but in Him I find the very righteousness I need to be saved. Acts 4.12, as we've quoted many times, for there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by, by which we must be saved, which is why we Christians keep pointing to Jesus and saying, if you want eternal salvation, if you want eternity in heaven, if you want to be with the Father, you go through the Son. Jesus, Yeshua, the name above all names is the only name. But when we take the name of the Lord our God in vain, then we empty it of meaning. That's what vain means, to empty it of meaning, to, to make it something worthless. We bandied about casually and crudely and carelessly, and in doing so, we void it of the meaning that it need, that it has in a world that desperately needs the meaningful name of God for salvation. And so, my friend, we need to return to the meaning of the name. I'm going to ask you to flip in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 5 for just a moment. And I keep coming back to this, and I've got to pour out my heart to you on this. I have had conversation after conversation after conversation with people who have come to the bridge, new to the bridge, visitors, whatever. And the same thing keeps being said over and over and over. And that is this. Why isn't the church teaching the Word? Why isn't it happening? What has happened? When did we become so satisfied with milk? I was talking to Mary Lee's father just last Sunday. And we were having this long conversation about what, what has happened to just the simple teaching of the Bible in churches. When did we get away from that? And when did church be, become so comfortable with warm, stale milk instead of the meat that is the Word of God? Well, I want to tell you something. 2,000 years ago, the problem was in the church that we have in the church today. It hasn't gone away. It has always been there. A desire for the easy and the cheesy and the Oscar milk toast approach to Christianity. And the writer of Hebrews was frustrated about it. Listen to his words. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 10. He says, Concerning him we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Now stop for a moment. Concerning who? Well, the verse before talks about Jesus having been designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And he says, concerning him we have much to say. 
But I can't because you don't even have basic scripture down. You don't even have basic understanding, the Hebrew writer says. He is frustrated. He's going on about some amazing things having to do with the high priesthood of Jesus. And he gets to this character, this Old Testament character from the book of Genesis that Abraham meets, a man named Melchizedek. And he wants to talk about the significance of Melchizedek. But he says, I can't even do that. Why not? Because you have become dull of hearing. Now listen, and apply this to yourselves if it's appropriate. Verse 12, for, by this, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to be milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil, which is why we teach through the Bible every Wednesday night. And the invitation, folks, remains open for you to be there. Not to stroke Rick's ego. Because it's not about whether or not Rick is teaching well. It's about are we in the Word? And I challenge you again and I will do it again and again and again. Are you in the Word? The Hebrew writer says, man, by now, and and I would say this for the bridge, we've been here a little over a year, by now some of you ought to be teachers. But teachers are hard to find. Even communion meditation is ask Mike. It's not easy to find people to stand up and just share a few words. Why? Are we feasting on the meat or are we slipping back into the milk gang? I call it cheesy Christianity. It's dairy daily living. It's milk toast mentality. And the church is rife with it, full of it. And we wonder, why is it that we, that we miss these things? Why is it that we didn't pick up on this whole mantra thing and Eastern mysticism creeping into the church? Why has Christianity embraced that so much? Because we are not in the meat of the word. If we were, we would have seen it coming in. Amen. And all of the things that are coming about in the church, when you see things and wonder, how does that happen? Or why does this church go off in that direction? It's because the church is lacking in the Word. The Lord wants you to hear His Word. He wants you in His Word, feasting on it. And I don't care if it's hard to get here. It's hard for me too. I have to walk all the way up that hill every Wednesday night. But I do it. Uphill. Even if it was snowing, I would be here. You know, I understand how our weeks go. And I understand timing. And I understand stress. And I understand children. And I understand school. And I understand being up early for work and all these things. But you know what? There's nothing more important you will do with your week than be in the Word of God. So the challenge is out again. The name of God matters so much, gang, because it is so full of meaning and doctrinal content and instruction. It speaks of His power. It speaks of His peace. It reminds us of His provision. It secures us in His presence. El Olam, the Lord, is present. The name directs us toward His character and nature and authority and grace. And that's why we need to know His name. So again, I challenge you, don't let the study lie here. As a matter of fact, homework assignment for this week. Are you ready? Here's your assignment. You write down and know the names of God in the Old Testament. Study them. Read them. Meditate on them. What does the Lord our righteousness mean? Read it in context of where it was written. 
Understand these names. There's 16 names. You've got a week. Go through them. Now, to the second question that we didn't have time to get to last week. Surprise, surprise. How exactly do we go about taking the name of the Lord in vain? Now, this is important, gang. Again, we have taken so long to get here because it's not enough just to avoid taking the name in vain. It's the heart that we have as we approach Hashem, the name of God. It's much more than simply the word God. Gang, the answer in keeping this command is found in the discovery that the name of the Lord is the desire of our souls. When we reach that place of desiring, of being passionate about His name, the issue of how we take it in vain begins to slip away because we are so in love with the name. But here are three ways that we'll quickly consider that we empty meaning out of the name of the Lord. Here they are. If you want to jot them down, blasphemy, perjury, and hypocrisy. Blasphemy, perjury, and hypocrisy. We'll look at these very quickly. Number one, blasphemy. In other words, mocking the name of God. That's what blasphemy means. To blaspheme something is to mock it. Which, again, belittles or empties the name. Now, you might say, I would never dishonor or mock the name of the Lord. I wouldn't do that, personally. I know others have. I wouldn't. But, folks, we do it as Christians all the time. Without even realizing it. In our own little language, you could call it Christian speak. And we understand each other when we use this language. And people who don't go to church hear us use this language. And they they think, oh, you must be one of those religious types. It's Christian speak. It's when we say things like, God have mercy. It was a long day of work today. Good Lord, what time is it? He's still preaching up there? God Almighty, I just don't know if I can handle this. And the reality is we're not praying at all. We're just bandying about the name. We're just tossing it out there. It's blasphemy. But it's more insidious than we might think. You may think, well, I don't use those phrases. Those, those. I, I have other phrases that I use, but not those. In our attempt, gang, to be relevant as Christians to our culture, well-meaning Christians have taken the awesome, holy, wonderful, powerful, blessed name of the Lord and turned it into cheap logos like God's gem. Someone's going, okay, there goes that t-shirt. How about this one? This blood's for you. Comparing the blood of Jesus Christ to beer. Or, you may not have heard of this one, I had a good friend down in California who had a Christian t-shirt business. And the name of his business that I thought years ago was really cool, but just this week as I was thinking through these things, it struck me that it is right there on the line of blasphemy. He calls his business Yahweh. Taking the name of God and applying it to a t-shirt. It empties the name of its meaning. It cheapens the holiness. That's blasphemy. Jesus said, Our Father who is in heaven, Matthew 6, 9, Holy is your name. Hallowed be thy name. And when I think of the grandeur, when we stop and ponder the wonder of God's name, compared to the common and casual way that we talk about Him, gang, when I think about how I used to talk about Jesus as a youth pastor, I am shamed. That doesn't mean that we have to be all uptight and tense and stiff as Christians. But it does mean recognizing our Father for who He is and loving Him for it. It's blasphemy. 
You know, this week, again, going through this, I was forced to pause and repent of the way I've used God's name. And I want to give you opportunity to do the same. Let's pray for just a moment. If you need to, repent to the Lord. Father, would you forgive us for using the name, your name, your precious name, so loosely and so casually, as if it was just another word. It is not another word. For we recognize by your name we're saved. We recognize and understanding your name. It draws us near you. And we just need to stop and repent and say we're sorry. And ask that you would forgive us. And Lord, I pray that you will put on our hearts a little alarm that would go off when we head that direction, when we cheapen or lighten up or take away from the grandeur of who you are, even in your name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, blasphemy. Secondly is perjury. Perjury is wrongly taking the name. That is to take the name of God and use it to add emphasis to what we are saying. For example, that's the God honest truth. Or saying, the Lord told me to do such and such or to go here or there. Or, thus saith the Lord. And then I speak what I think the Lord is saying. Let me tell you something. You better be sure that the Lord thus saith what you think He thus saith. You better be sure. That's all I'm saying. And I am not saying, by the way, and please hear me on this, that the Lord does not speak through people. He does. And He does clearly. But what I am saying is you better know beyond the shadow of a doubt that this is your Father speaking and not your own desire to look holy. It's a place where the church has gone. Ezekiel chapter 22 verse 28 says her prophets, speaking of Israel, her prophets have smeared whitewash for them, seeing false visions and divining lies for them, saying, thus says the Lord God, when the Lord has not spoken. I search for a man among them, verse 30 says, who would build up the wall and stand in the gap before me in the land so that I would not destroy it. But I found, Ezekiel said, or God said, I found no one. And it's nothing short of unholy deception, folks, perjury, when we claim the name of God simply to shore up something that we think is important. Be careful when you do that. Well, Rick, isn't that what you said happened with the whole bridge thing? You said the Lord told you to plant this church? Yes, I did. And yes, I am sure. And I have never been more sure of anything aside from my salvation in my life. But I'll tell you what, it took me weeks, and those of you close to me know this, weeks and weeks to be absolutely sure that God did call for this church to be here. There were a lot of questions, and there was a lot of prayer, and there was a lot of seeking to know for sure that this was a call of the Lord. And also, by the way, there was an awful lot, an amazing amount of, of support for it, coming from all sorts of different ways, where the Lord responded and showed us, yes, in fact, He did want a church here. One of those things, by the way, is just, is just seeing you here today. It amazes me. Do you realize how weird this is? That you're sitting in a barn on Sunday morning on North Whidbey, Nowheresville Island. What are we doing? How'd you find out about the bridge? Well, I don't know. I heard it from my hair cutter. There's no sign. There's no, you're just here. God is confirming His word. Well, the third thing, the third thing to know is hypocrisy. 
Blasphemy and perjury. Two ways we take the name of the Lord in vain. Third and last one, hypocrisy. And that, my friends, is simply wrongly wearing the name. Wrongly wearing the name. Genesis chapter 4, verse 26, tells an interesting, makes an interesting statement or comment. Genesis 4.26, going all the way back to the early days, Adam had relations with his wife again. And she gave birth to a son and named him Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me, appointed for me an offspring in the place of Abel. For Cain killed him. Verse 26, listen to this. To Seth, to him also, a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. Now, I have this underlined in my Bible and highlighted. It says, then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Now you read that very quickly and you assume, okay, well, after Seth and then Enosh, people started to become like believers and follow God, right? That's not what it says. Again, back to the Hebrew, it's karashem, which literally means then men began to be called by the name of the Lord. That's what you are if you claim to be a Christian. You are called by the name of the Lord. And Enosh apparently was a man who was called by the name of the Lord. That men in that day who began to go to the Father and seek to be followers of God were called, I don't know, not Christians, but followers of God. Those, those God people. I'm not sure how, what the name was. How they were called by the name. And Acts chapter 11 verse 26 tells us that the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch, wearing the name for the first time. And by the way, when they were called Christians, it was a put down at first. Because the word means little Christ. Oh, you're a little Christ. You're one of those little Christs running around, aren't you? And I love that because, yeah, isn't that the point? Don't we all want to be little Christ? Don't we want to take on the person of Jesus? Don't we want to become like Him, conform to the image of God's Son? Gang, when you become a Christian, you take on a new name. And the hypocrisy comes in when we are wrongly wearing that name. John chapter 1, verse 12 says, As many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believed in His name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Adopted into the family of God. What does that mean? It means that we take on the family name. When we're adopted into the family, we become children who wear that name, who bear that name. And it's a proud name, it's a beautiful name, it's a wonderful name to be called Christian. But I'm now a member of the family. How would it be for an adopted child? And most of you know about little Leticia running around. She's a great example. How would it be for Leticia to get a little bit older, 9, 10, 11 years old, and start to mock the name of D'Angelo that she was given, brought into this country? Oh my D'Angelo, it's a hard day today. What if she began to actually dishonor her parents in the way she was living, in the things that she was doing? How amazing would it be to think, wow, this child was brought out of an orphanage in Bolivia and given life in this country with Christian parents and now, and now, she doesn't even care about the name that she's been given. How ridiculous would that be? And yet, where are you adopted into the family of Christ? You have God the Father. You have Jesus who has called you into this family. You have a name. A name. But when we take the name of the Lord, do we wear it in vain or do we bear it as adopted children? 
who had been given the right to be called by his name. And you might say, well, okay, this is too intense. I'm just going to avoid the name altogether. I'm not going to concern myself with it. And then we will go namelessly into eternity. And you don't want that either. Again, it's all about falling in love with the name of the Lord in such a way that it is to the desire of your souls. Well, last week, one more minute and we're done. Last week I began the study with the following question. I said, have you ever been around those Christians who just take things too seriously? You know the ones who you just want to tell to lighten up. You remember I said that? The reason I started out this two-week look at the name of God with that question is because I was describing me. I was a kid raised in the church. A teenager who got real tired of the churchy attitudes of people. And I began to think, why can't we as Christians just lighten up? Who cares what we do? Who cares what we watch? Man, we got grace, so let's relax a little bit. If the joke's a little off color, no big deal. If the language is a little rough, who cares? We're all Christians. Let's relax together. And I, the more I study the Bible, the more convicted I get about this game. If I'm truly what I claim to be, that is a Christian, rather than trying to loosen up or lighten up or conform to this world, isn't the emphasis of Christianity supposed to be Christ-likeness? Yes. Amen. Looking like Him. Loving like Him. Rejoicing. Yeah, being full of joy and happiness and peace like Jesus. Not the empty, vain thing of the world. We're called to be like Christ. And again, I know we're fallen, but we're also redeemed. So wear the name, not in vain emptiness, but in the recognition of the fullness of the meaning of the name of the Lord. Last verse, Jeremiah 15:16. Your words were found. And I ate them. And your words became for me a joy and the delight of my heart, for I have been called by your name. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Our Lord Jesus, precious is your name to us. Spirit, it's my prayer that you will so attach the name of, of God to our hearts that we will not only wear it with conviction, but it will be the name on our lips that saves and that brings peace, that brings joy to those who are depressed and comfort to those who are sorrowful. And most of all, Lord, salvation to those who are lost. May we speak the name with with joy and with honor and with dignity. Lifting up the precious character and nature of who you are, Father. We pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.